Well, hello there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura podcast. And I am super happy that you're here. We're having another week of super interesting people. I had no idea how many interesting people there were to talk to until I got this podcast going. If you're new, this podcast is all about conversations on how to have better conversations, but really how to speak up when the audience is intimidating, when your people are distracted, how to get the green light, get your point across when you don't have the gift of the gap, as I don't have either. I learned all of this the hard way. I'm a certified introvert, still a little bit awkward, and I still have verbal fillers, and I still put my foot in my mouth every once in a while. Nevertheless, I've coached several thousand people on how to improve their communication skills that land them promotions, jobs, projects, lots of good outcomes come from investing in yourself in the area of communication. And speaking of investing, this episode should be out to you. It should be late June or early July, and I'm about to launch a VIP opportunity to take a class called From Invisible to Influence. And since it's the first time I'm offering this course, there's going to be a very serious 50% discount on the price. Please contact me for details. It'll be offered by Zoom. There'll be four weeks. We're going to cover analyzing your audience. We're going to cover how to have that executive presence, which I call executing presence, and how to be memorable. And there will be a bonus about answering questions. But these are the things that I have learned through all these thousands of conversations, plus the PhD. Don't you forget, I can tell you how to become a Latin American dictator like Hugo Chavez, how introverts can communicate more intelligently to get the visibility they need. So thank you, our sponsor, Mixonian Institute's class called From Invisible to Influence. Our guest today is a man named Gabe Zickerman. He is from Los Angeles. He is a very interesting guy, and the topic today is going to be engaging audiences that are difficult, which means everybody, but he has this different take on capturing the attention of your audience and he has a background in gamification so i think that's going to be interesting he's an entrepreneur author investor he has been an advisor at all the top tech companies his new book is called aha method communicating powerfully in a time of distraction as i've told you before i'm your bouncer i filter out a lot of people that want to tell you how to communicate better But what I really liked about Gabe's profile is his focus on the distracted audience. Because as you know, your audience is really thinking about lunch when you're explaining the details of this investment or quarterly business review or so forth. So help me welcome Gabe Zickerman. And I know you're going to get so much value and you're always asking yourself, how does Laura do this for free? All right, here we go. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, Gabe. We are very happy to have you here. How is the weather in Los Angeles today? Oh, the weather in Los Angeles today is unusually not sunny and warm. And so therefore, I actually have something to talk about. Normally, we don't get to say (laughs) anything about weather, right? 
<laughs> right. So you get to say, where's the sun? Well, it's a very lovely day here in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm super pleased to have you on and to share your wisdom with our wonderful audience of super smart, better looking than average, slightly awkward brainiacs that are all listening in. And I really am interested in your background in the gamification And of course, you're an investor, like you've done a lot of different things, which I think uniquely equips you to have this perspective on what works and what doesn't in communication and that you're clearly very attuned to audiences. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, sure. I have always been a chatty person. And unlike your audience, I've never been especially good looking. I think I came into that probably later age, but congratulations out there, all you good looking folks (laughs) who've had that advantage. I've just been chatty. I've just been chatty my whole life. And so from an early age, I never really had the same kind of struggles, I think, communicating as other folks and grew up in a family. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be multilingual. And in many ways, communication's always played a key aspect of my life. And I fairly early on leveraged that to my advantage as an entrepreneur and in various leadership roles in technology. But I effectively haven't had like a traditional job working for someone for over 20 years. So in that time, I've been entrepreneur, a TED speaker, a coach, launched several companies, you know, sold some of them. But most people know my work in the field of gamification, which is using ideas from games to make everything a little bit more addictive and a little bit more engaging, let's say. Right. And that's the topic of my first three books and the TED Talks that most people are familiar with that I've done. And then I sort of realized that between my passion for communication and public speaking and the addiction engagement of all the different apps and games that we play today, that I think audiences are uniquely distracted. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. We're not getting the same attention from our audiences that we used to. And we can sit and hem and haw and be upset about that. And I'm old enough to officially qualify to say, get off my lawn, kids on you know, <laughs> Snapchat. But I think it's more important for us to take those techniques that, frankly, I'm partially responsible for this epidemic of distraction. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to take some of those techniques that have made everything so addictive, engaging, and distracting. And I'd like to bring them to the sphere of professional communication so that speakers, leaders, managers, executives can leverage those same techniques to kind of combat that and cut through the noise and create engagement with their audiences. So that's the impetus behind the AHA method, my new book, and so on and so forth. Well, it sounds like you're unemployable, so it's a good thing you have all these (laughs) other skills. I didn't mention this in your introduction, but I am very pleased that you speak five languages and one of them is Hungarian. And I know we have some Hungarians in Berlin that are going to be listening to this. So a shout out to our Hungarian friends. This is a special day. You get to hear from someone in the United States who has that background. Your mom was from Hungary. Is that right? Yeah, my mom is from Hungary and my father is from Transylvania, which is the Hungarian speaking part of Romania. And so Hungarian was the lingua franca, which is kind of funny to say, but the lingua franca of our house growing up. So yes, I grew up speaking that weird, woolly, strange language called Hungarian. Yes. Well, I'm sure that developed all kinds of neural pathways in your brain. So your later work on the uh aha, because writing a book is a 
it's painful. I have only written one and it is so painful and so lonely and terrible. So what possessed you to write yet another book? Like what was that thing that said, nope, the message has to get out there because people need to know this. Well, I think what I just saw was, I think it all was spurred by one particular question that I got asked a lot in my life of doing public speaking. And I think I really fell into the coaching and training people on public speaking very kind of organically. People would just see me speak and think I was really good at it and said, hey, can you help me? Or do you know someone who can help me? And I love to teach and I love to educate. So all along, I've done that. I mostly did that for entrepreneurs, coaching them on how to pitch and raise money because that's more my entrepreneurial background. But as that sort of started to expand and grow, this all came from one particular question that people would ask me routinely. And they would say, and I sort of hear it over and over again, and people would say stuff to me like, gosh, I'm so nervous when I get up to speak. You're such a good speaker. You do this so often. I bet you never get nervous. Now, I heard that like maybe 200 different ways, okay? I've been told that or asked that. And every single time someone says that to me, I realize I respond with, no, of course I get nervous. I'm not a sociopath. (laughs) Every time I get up to speak, I'm nervous, but I'm not nervous about the same thing that you're nervous about. See, I'm not nervous about forgetting my lines or failing to say the things that I mean to say, because I've got a method and approach that I use to make sure that I feel confident in that. What I'm nervous about, which is what every speaker should be nervous about, is whether or not the audience is picking up what I'm putting down. Mm -hmm. Does the audience understand what I'm saying? Did they get from my talk what I intended for them to get from my talk? Therefore, I must be nervous. I have to be anxious about that. And so what I realized was there was this fundamental kind of mismatch between what people think they need to master when it comes to being a good communicator professionally and what I actually think they need to master. And that's not hacks and tips and tricks like how to be funny in a yuck, yuck, Toastmasters kind of way, no disrespect to Toastmasters, but more so about durable, repeatable, scalable processes that will enable them to master the material, be their authentic selves, and communicate in a way that is effective, engaging, and cuts through the noise. If ultimately your concern is about forgetting your lines, then you're really not focused on the right thing. I really like what you say about being your authentic self. I was just coaching this IT manager who works for an American company, but he located and his office is located in Mexico City. And he was saying that when he speaks to executive audiences, and like you said, we get asked the same question in so many different variations, but he was saying, well, I was just being informal and, 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 you know, basically say I was being myself. He didn't use those words, but I need to be polished. And I said, no, you don't want to be a robot. You don't want to be somebody that you're not right. You want to be helpful. That's the way I see it. So let's say a person has to present on some topic at work that is not necessarily spellbinding. Where would you advise them to start to make sure that they get their point across to the audience. Because you're not just talking to hear yourself talk. It's to change the way people think about something, right? We always want some sort of transformation, even if it's just on Laura knows what she's talking about and should be promoted or not. All communication is persuasive communication. There is no such thing as a non-persuasive communication. 
Let me repeat that because that is that is money in the bank, guys. All communication is persuasive. Another way, Gabe says that every talk is a pitch. What I say is you're not sharing information, you're selling solutions. So that's right. And the best way to sell, my mom is a great salesperson. She was my original pattern on this. And the best way to sell, and I remember her telling me this at a very young age, is really what you sell whenever you're selling is you're selling yourself. And if people believe in you and they believe that you know what you're talking about, and they believe that you've got the right perspective, they'll ultimately buy what you're selling. And so at the core of this, and this was another thing that really spurred me to write my book, The AHA Method, another thing that really pushed me to write here was this idea that I think many people try to sell a communication style that's kind of cookie cutter, like there's a right way to communicate and there's a wrong way to communicate. And I think that started kind of with Dale Carnegie, because you go back and you read how to win friends and influence people and these sorts of early like 1950s public speaking books. And they're kind of like, start with the joke. And one of the first things I tell, and it's in the book, I have this like chart to analyze your voice, figuring out what your voice is, okay? And one of the first things that I ask anybody that I coach or that I talk to is, are you funny? Because if you're not funny in real life, the first thing that I want you to do is never tell a joke from the stage. You don't need to be funny to be compelling and persuasive. You need to be you. If you are authentic, empathetic, let's lead with empathy. If you're an academic didactic person who's very knowledgeable, let's lead with your command of the information. If you're funny, let's lead with your humor. All of those different types of personalities have a place on the stage, little S stage, okay? Mm -hmm, Because we're not just mm -hmm. talking about public speaking. Every personality has a place on the stage. There is no right personality for being persuasive. The origin of being persuasive and being effective is being authentic. And then what we want to do is we want to take whatever your authentic voice is, and we want to bring out, we want to polish up the absolute best part of that natural voice. So that doesn't mean changing who you are. It means taking the part that's really super compelling and amazing and heightening that and brightening that. And so that's why every type of communicator, every communication is different and unique. And I just don't think there's one right way to do it. So that's typically how I start. I totally agree. I think that Dale Carnegie, he did a great service. He helped a lot of people, but it's not enough. It's just table stakes and everybody's not the, what is it? The hail fellow well met or whatever that slap people on the back. How's the Packers game? That's just not most people. It's also from an era, just to bear mentioning, when almost everyone in business was kind of a white guy. Right. Yeah. And so they were all kind of of a similar background. And so you could sort of sell a one size fits all. Like one of the big things that comes up in my work, especially in the coaching work, is folks with different accents. Mm -hmm. It's very, very common to have an accent in our multicultural environment. Right. And in a global economy, right, especially for multinational companies, you got people with all kinds of accents. Well, you know what? You may have to communicate in your second language and bravo to you if you do, because that's really, really a hard lift. The audience understands as soon as they hear that you have a non-standard accent, whatever that's worth. The audience understands that you are communicating perhaps not in your native language and they're going to create space for you. The key is not for you to pretend that you don't have that accent or try to squash that accent or remove it from your communication, which many people with a foreign accent, they 
think they're at some sort of disadvantage in that way. But you might have to change some of the words that you use, and you might have to slow down a little bit, and you might have to check your work to make sure that you're speaking in a culturally appropriate context for your audience. But there's so many different possible ways to be a communicator. And there is no aspect of your authentic intrinsic communication self that I would ever seek to try to get rid of. I just want to make that the brighter, better, sharper version of itself. Absolutely. I mean, I think having an accent, extremely cool. My husband has a very attractive accent and my kids always say, (laughs) if he loses the accent... That mom might not get to, <laughs> Yeah, like, who are you? So, yeah, it's exactly that's part of you and is actually can make you more memorable. But, Gabe, let's say I'm new to a company and I have an accent that's not from South Carolina, but uh, clearly an English as a second language accent. Do you think it's good to let people know your country of origin or just ignore that? What a great question. Okay, it depends on the kind of communication, right? You can work in aspects of your personal story into a more structured communication or pitch. And what I always tell people is, if you want to build empathy with the audience, what you want to connect with the audience's empathy for you, right? Which I think you do. It's not necessary to go full Brene Brown in every speech, right? Okay, but it's good to kind of connect with the audience's empathy for you then I think you can engage that empathetic muscle for the audience by bringing in your personal story kind of one way or the other. And you can see from my style as well, I have a pretty informal and personal style. I will work in a personal anecdote or story in every opportunity that I get, especially when I'm pitching or talking to new people so they get to know me. I think my background is really interesting. I think my family's immigrant background is really interesting. I think the fact that I'm a gay man. It's interesting. And all of Mm -hmm. the details can be worked in appropriately into communication. So once you understand that the point is not to impress the audience, but the point is to connect with the audience, then the stories that you tell and the aspects of yourself that you reveal will become much more clear and much more self-evident to you as a communicator. I am totally writing this down. Your job is not to impress the audience, but to connect with them. So that is so well said. Impressiveness is just a momentary perception most of the time. You can be impressed by somebody, say celebrity, fill in the blank. That doesn't mean that you would like that person to babysit your kids or that you really feel connected to that person, but you're impressed that they have acquired this much wealth or they're they're this beautiful or bought this multi-million dollar house. So impressive really is not worth it. Don't worry about that. Just worry about connecting. And I want to touch your three touchstones that you have for connecting for an audience and winning the attention of an audience is authenticity, which we talked a little bit about being yourself, but being yourself that the audience, you know, like you may need to polish, don't show up in your pajamas for a pitch, right? Or for anything. Unless your pitch is about pajamas. (laughs) You think I'm joking, but I actually do want to qualify that because I think that's actually important. Yeah. Remember, if you are selling or you're pitching something and you are supposed to be the best version of that thing or the number one customer of that thing that you're trying to pitch, then 
Yeah. Like when I used to speak, I ran a pretty successful gaming startup that we sold. And when I would come and talk to corporate audiences about how to bring video gamers into their culture or how to bring gamification into their culture, I dressed down. Oh, right. Like a gamer. Yeah. Yes, exactly. People would often comment. They would say, well, how come you're not wearing a suit for this presentation to the prime minister of Malaysia? And I said, well, I am supposed to be the cool kid. Right. I am supposed to be the countercultural story about games here. So if I come in wearing the three-piece suit, I'm missing an opportunity to tell my story visually as well as part of that aspect. And incidentally, you know, it's funny, I've coached one of the global sharks on Shark Tank has been a communication. I've coached them. And one of the funny things is like, if you watch Shark Tank, you'll see that people come in wearing their gear. Right. Or as top customer of their company. And that's actually part of the story with the pitch. You do want to embody whatever that story is and your clothes are part of that decision. I love that. I'm so glad. I was not planning to bring up your appearance or what you wear. I always think you should wear clothes that you feel really confident in that you really like. They know they look good on you, but you're taking it a level further to help reinforce your message almost like a visual support for your message. Am I right or am I reading too much into this? No, you're right. And in fact, in the AHA method, I devote several sections, which I think catches many people off guard. I devote several sections of the book to all these kinds of things that normally don't come up in public speaker training or communication training, like how are you going to sleep the night before? How are you going to eat the day of an important pitch? How are you going to dress? What is your practice for all of those things? Caffeine consumption. So I wrap them up as part of this chapter that I talk about where I'm like, you're a rock star, now act like one. And what I mean by that is important presentations, really important presentations that you're giving, whether that's to the CEO of your company, on the stage at an industry conference at a TEDx or TED, or as pitching a customer or pitching a venture capitalist for money, a really important presentation day, you need to think of yourself like a rock star. And that is your performance at Madison Square Garden. Everything that you do in the time that leads up to that pitch presentation or conversation should be oriented around maximizing the success of that pitch presentation or conversation, because that is a unique opportunity you've been given. So how you sleep, how you eat, what you do that day, all of those things matter. And of course, what you wear, optimized for comfort and storytelling is also a key part of that. I call that speaker hygiene. Yes, I think that's the name of one of the chapters. And he's got it like a schedule, you know, T minus 24 hours and T minus eight hours and five hours, which is great because it also gives you something to focus on and it helps control any anxiety that may come up because you've got your plan. It's like, it's also not only like a rock star, but also like an elite athlete. Yes, exactly. And that is the level that you want to bring if you're taking Every yourself and your time. message. Yes, exactly. Every time. Every time. Okay. I want to touch on flexibility. So Gabe is all about, you know, connecting with your audience by being your authentic self, by being flexible and by showing empathy. But I want to talk about flexibility first, because that's something that's not usually spoken of in conversations about communication. I mean, adapting to your audience, that's huge. But how does flexibility fit into the communication formula? Well, there's so many different ways to think about flexibility. And at the core, let's just start with this, okay? 
many people, when they're learning to communicate well, and especially if they're giving a structured presentation or pitch or something like that, they have a great deal of focus on memorizing verbatim a script that's been created. So the whole thing revolves around if only I write this perfect script and then I memorize this perfect script and then I deliver this perfect script in perfect cadence, then nothing bad will happen to me. And I think it's a kind of crutch that many first-time communicators use, believing that that is getting out every single word that you have to say exactly the way you intended to say it is the definition of success. But in fact, I think if we take a look at the best kind of communication, certainly political speeches are different and regulatory speeches are different. But when we talk about more professional communication, being accurate in a verbatim sense is much less important than making sure that your message gets across and your message is picked up. And focusing on being exact and precise removes some of the flexibility that you might benefit from in that communication setting. So one of the examples that I give is a few years ago, I was giving a keynote presentation in Mexico, Mexico City, at a really big trade show. Okay, And this trade show, the stage was in the convention hall. So everything was kind of taking place in the convention hall. I was giving a keynote for people who wanted to listen to the keynote. Trade show booths were in the area where the lunch was, okay? So here I am on this stage, okay? It's time for my keynote. I get up to give my presentation. I start my presentation, packed crowd. Everybody's listening to me very closely. It's well amplified so everybody can hear me, but of course, it's a big room. And then all of a sudden, it's one o'clock in the afternoon when I go on. Three, four minutes into my presentation, a mariachi band strikes up over in the lunch area like a full-blown mariachi band, like 12 people, and they start playing, okay? (laughs) (laughs) They're loud. If you haven't heard a mariachi band before, they are loud. Trumpets. They very, very loud. Exactly. Okay, super loud. So at that moment, I've got several options for what I can do in response to the mariachi band playing, right? Of course, some could argue that I should stop and wait for them to finish, but I have no idea how long they're going to go on. So while I continue to talk, I'm watching the crowd to make sure that the crowd can still hear me. Because of course, if the crowd can no longer hear me, then we have a different problem, right? And then I do need to wait for engineering to catch up. So what I do is I stretch, I start talking about something that's a little bit less important than what I had in mind that moment while I'm waiting to see if the crowd can still hear me. And then I sort of work in a little joke about the mariachi into my speech. It was topical and it worked into where I was going in the speech. And I made a joke, I think, at my own expense about how bad of a dancer I am. So I acknowledged the fact that it was going on. So the audience knew that I knew and they knew that they knew and that I knew. And then we moved on with the speech. Okay. I would not have been able to do that if my sole focus was on delivering the lines verbatim. Absolutely. You would have gone into a, like a coma or something. Yeah, because... I would have frozen. And you can count dozens of times I've had everything from minor technical catastrophes to major technical catastrophes happen in the middle of my speeches and in the middle of my communication. And really part of the impetus for writing the AHA method was my recognition that I need to be confident in myself and in my material. So it's me and my material. Those two things together, once I understand those two things and I'm confident in those two things and I bring those two things together, that is how. I am able to do what I do under even the most challenging of circumstances. 
and that's communicate effectively, beautifully, and cut through the noise of a distracted audience. Wow. Well, I don't think anybody listening is ever going to be interrupted by a mariachi band, but now you know it it can be done. (laughs) I mean, write me if it ever happens to you. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Before we close, I know the time is going by so fast. I want to touch on your process and I want everybody to know because half the people listening, if not more, are engineers Gabe is well-versed in agile methodology and... I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. Okay. (laughs) He's a a chatty nerd, though. He's a chatty nerd. Chatty nerd. nerd, Very chatty nerd, yeah. So was it just because you had worked so much with agile? Agile plays into because of the iterations? You want to cover your diaper? It's not called diaper, but your (laughs) D-I-P-R. Diaper diaper is actually a joke in the book. Yeah, I'm a tech nerd. So for those of you listening, I come out of the tech industry. I've started several tech startups, had a couple of exits, had several failures. I'm definitely like a bona fide nerd. I've written an O'Reilly book. I'm a nerd at my core and proof that somebody can be both an effective communicator and technically literate. Absolutely. So I actually think agile methodology. So agile is a process where we kind of launch incremental bits of what it is that we're trying to get to market. So we start with the minimum viable product that is the minimum set of things that constitute a finished product. And then we test that in the market continuously and continue to refine our product over and over again by adding and removing little bits and pieces of the finished product until we have something that really works. And so typically agile methodologies applied for the development of software. You heard me use the word product there as I was describing that, right? Right. But the same premise can be applied to developing and perfecting a speech, a pitch, or a presentation. And so actually, like the book, The AHA Method, my new book, brings this agile methodology to the table, and I really believe in using that. And so what that means is that we start off, every time we're practicing, we're building our communication skills, we start off with a specific presentation in mind. So whenever I'm coaching someone, I'll say, okay, what is the thing we're working on? It's a speech, talk, a pitch, a presentation. If we don't have something, we'll come up with something. We'll start it. And then I use this, the framework that I use is called Dipper. And my joke is that every tech presentation has an acronym in it. And tech people love to acronymize. And I easily could have made this acronym Diaper. And I actually talk about in the book, you know, please don't acronymize everything and please don't be guided by your acronyms. So Dipper stands for deadlines of details. So first and foremost, what is the deadline for this talk? What are the details of this talk? What are we working on so we know what we're working on? Iteration, which is basically we are going to not have a perfect polished talk on day one. We're going to have that towards the end of the talk and we, you know, end of the process, and we may never get there. But the goal is to try to iterate to get to where we need to go. The P is for practice, which, by the way, I just want to call this out because I think many people these days, we talk a lot about hacks and shortcuts and stuff like that, Laura. But In this domain, there is absolutely no shortcut for practice. You must practice. And I have dropped many, many, many coaching clients because at the beginning of the process with me, I'll tell people, hey, we're going to meet multiple times a week if we have to. If you tell me that the deadline for your TEDx talk is in four weeks from now, you're going to have to run this presentation, the full presentation, 20 or more times before you've got something that you've really got under your belt. Any presentation that I give, I'm running 20 or 30 times before I give it from the stage. So just consider if that presentation is 30 minutes long, 
how much time I have to devote to get that right. Right. But that's where you get the flexibility is from knowing it so well. Yes, that's exactly right. If you're not prepared to put the time and effort into practice, by the way, if you're not prepared to put the time and effort in for all of this stuff, right? There's other things you could be doing with your time, right? But if you're not prepared to put the time into practice, you won't have the level of mastery that you seek here. And that's the bottom line. This is a performance skill and you've got to approach it that way. And lastly is reviews. And so that means being able to take feedback from people, adjusting what you're working on, getting honest feedback. And especially if you're working with a coach of any kind on your presentation skills, one thing you really want to have is your coach or anybody who gives you feedback, give you honest feedback. Like if you go to your mom or your spouse and they're like, that was great, honey. You did an awesome job. That is not what you need to hear. You need specific feedback. Even in the book, I actually have a checklist in the resources for the book that you can give people who are listening to your presentation while you're practicing and ask them for their opinion using this checklist to get more specific feedback. So that's Dipper, deadlines, iteration, practice, and reviews. And those things together over a period of time, that's how we get to presentation mastery. Yeah, you got to put in the work. And for all the nerds listening and all the tech aficionados, his book is filled with QR codes to other resources. (laughs) So you're not just getting a book, you're getting a lot of extra tools and, you know, some may be more useful to you than others, but he's definitely taking a holistic approach to making you a speaker that is going to be memorable and touch people. Maybe we can just have a quick question about virtual, but I want to say this was new to me practicing your talk to a wall. So to train yourself not to be dependent on the feedback of the smiling faces of the people that are really getting your message. I thought, wow, I never thought of that. So tell our audience about practicing to a wall and just any tips with virtual and then we'll close with where to get more Gabe. Yeah, I think you brought up probably one of the things that people are most shocked by in my advice, which is this practice to a wall. So I have you practice to a wall. And I do this, by the way, if you see me before I give a speech, I'm practicing to a wall at some point. Basically, you stand six to eight inches away from a wall. You soften your focus. so You're not really looking at anything specific. You kind of just have a general view of nothing. And you give your presentation. And Once you're fairly comfortable with the material, you can run it at two or three X the normal speed. So you don't have to do it in real time anymore. And I do this soft focus wall presentation. I do this because there are certainly kinds of presentations where you're either not able to see the audience, for example, in a large Zoom or a webinar setting in Zoom where you literally don't see anyone at all. And that often creates panic in people's heads when you can't focus on somebody's face. And I've got some tips and tricks for how to kind of overcome that in a Zoom setting, including by pasting photos of somebody you like, putting a bobblehead atop your monitor, having someone stand behind the monitor to give you that eye line kind of shake and nod. All of these techniques, all of these tips and tricks in the AHA method, all these techniques are valid. You can choose any one you want or use all of them if you want. But I practice this self-focus wall method because I need to break that primal connection in my brain between seeking the affirmation of people nodding and smiling at me while I'm talking for settings where I can't see the audience. And by the way, like if you've ever done a TED style presentation where you're under a spotlight on a stage, you also don't get to see the audience. 
Right. So there's a lot of settings where you don't get to see your audience and you don't have anyone to focus on and there's no smiling and nodding. And so you've got to be able to break that panic that we're trained to have when we can't see anyone's faces and we're talking to them. So there's several techniques in there, but the wall talking is the funny one. And by the way, I can't tell you how many times people have looked at me like I'm insane when I'm out giving a presentation and I'm standing in a convention center six inches away from a wall talking to it. You're redefining awkward, Gabe. I mean, that is just so strange, but I'm totally going to do this just by doing something so crazy. But there's a meaning behind this method. I thought that was very valuable reframing of how to practice. And certainly practice is essential to get good at anything. You cannot get good at anything by reading about it. I mean, you can get a little bit better, but you cannot become a master. This has been so interesting, Gabe. Thank you so much. Tell us where people can find more, Gabe. The name of the book is AHA Method, but the subtext is Communicating Powerfully in a Time of Distraction, which is 2023. Everybody's distracted. They're wondering what's for lunch. It's a lot (laughs) bigger lift to connect with people than it was even five years ago. That's right. And you can find the AHA Method on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And if you want to follow me or connect with me. It's easy to find me on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. It's G-Z-I-C-H-E-R-M. But if you just type in Gabe Z, generally speaking, I come up pretty fast. There's rare Gabe Zickermans in the world. You won't confuse me with anyone else. Yeah, I thought Laura Camacho was rare, but not at all. Not at, there are several, but Gabe Zickerman, that is not a common name combo. So thank you so much for sharing your time, for tuning in and sharing all these wisdom bombs with our audience. I really appreciate this. And everybody out there listening, of course, as always, you're welcome. And I will catch you on the next episode. Farewell. Farewell.